I believe that the way that the kingdom really gets established is through making disciples. It's, it's Jesus spends his life discipling 12 guys in, in particular. He spends his life pouring himself into these guys to reproduce himself in these guys. Uh, and yes, he evangelized. Jesus was the greatest evangelist ever lived. He also was the greatest missionary and the greatest teacher and the greatest, pro- all, in, name it. Whatever gifting you feel called to, Jesus is, is the standard. But that he, that's not all he was. He didn't just focus there. He made disciples. He focused, he, he took that and made that a part of his discipleship. But ultimately what, he, what we're looking for is the expansion and establishment of his kingdom through people that look like Jesus. Because Jesus himself said that when a student is fully mature, he will be like his teacher. Right? So Matthew 28 verse 16 says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee on the mountains which Jesus had designated. And when they saw they worship, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Right, so we know this is the Great Commission. Right? If you've been around church for any amount of time, you know this is you know, the last thing that Jesus said and, this is what we're supposed to do. Now turn with me to John chapter 1. Because it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting story here. Of just how, what happens with discipleship. And how it differs from what we're used to. What we're used to here in the West, in American Christianity, the American church. And I'm not trying to smash this because, man, I'm, I was part of this. But what we're used to is that discipleship essentially means, you know, you guys come and you listen to me talk. Every Sunday, right? Or we might, maybe we get together on a Tuesday night and you listen to me talk for 45 minutes. And then you tell me about your struggles and then I talk for another 30 minutes, right? I mean, this is discipleship. And so in John chapter 1, uh, right, right there, one twenty-nine says, on the next day he saw... Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? This is John the Baptist. Then again, he says in verse 35, And the next day, John tells, he's standing with two of his disciples. And he sees Jesus and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 37, The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Right? These are, these are, these are John the Baptist's disciples. He says, look, this, Jesus is the one, right? He's, he's, he's the Lamb of God. So they start following Jesus. Verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? Right? You're following, you start following Jesus, right? He's like, what do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? What do you think the significance of this question is? Why are they asking that? Why are they asking Jesus, where are you staying? What does it have to do with anything? They're following Jesus around. Jesus is, he's a teacher. They acknowledge that. They say, where are you staying? I believe the reason why they're asking that is because they understand, listen, there's a bunch of people that can preach well. I want to see how you live when you're at home. If you, if, if you are, if you are the Lamb of God, as far as in, in the mind of a Jew, discipleship, wasn't just sit there let me talk to you for 45 minutes it was literally let me follow you around a, a, a boy would find a rabbi and he would literally just follow him around right and so he they, these guys tell jesus where are you living where are you staying at not where are you from where'd you get your degree at what church do you work out of because we want to come here you preach more regularly do you have a podcast so where do you live where are you staying because we want to we want to see who you are at home, right? And so how does Jesus respond to this? He says, "Come and you will see." So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him a day and it was about the 10th hour. Right? So these guys start following Jesus and man, he's so gracious. 
Right? He, he's giving himself to discipleship. He's giving himself to, oh, you want to follow me? Come on. You're going to see. You want to see who I am when I'm not, when there's not a crowd following me, listening to me? It's fine. I don't have anything to hide. My life is an open book, right? Again, we see in Matthew 28, in the verse 16, when I, what we first read was, and then the 11. Where did the 11, where were they, where were they headed towards? Matthew 28, 16. Galilee. What happened to the 12? What do we know in the, as far as the story is concerned? What happened to Judas? He betrayed Jesus, right? Jesus, he poured himself into 12. And it's not like it was, it was a mistake. Jesus didn't pick Judas by accident. I promise you, he was not surprised. He even tells us, the one who dips his hand with me is going to betray me, right? So Jesus knows who Judas is. And it's crazy to me. I mean, he literally, he invests his life in a guy for three years knowing full well the guy's going to stab him in the back. He knows full well this guy's going to betray me to death. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if I'm, I'd be necessarily picking somebody that I know it's not going to work out. Like, I know, essentially, it's like this is a waste of time. Right? And so we see this. There's 11 guys and one of them leaves. And we see, man, just because one guy falls away. And this is my, my encouragement to you guys, man, because God has called you to make disciples. And so what happens when somebody backslides? What happens when you find out somebody's living a double life? What happens when, you, you know, whatever it is, do we shut the whole operation down? Did Jesus shut the whole operation down? We see also in, in, Gen, in John chapter 6, right? He's got his disciples. He gives his teaching about eat my flesh and drink my blood. It says that all his disciples leave. And what Jesus chases after them and begs them to stay and gives them a commentary so they can really understand what he meant. No, he, I mean, just the reality is he doesn't shut it down. The, the establishing of the kingdom, the expanding of the kingdom does not stop because somebody walked away. And I'm not saying we disregard like it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, man, we, we got to stay focused. Because we could, what, what, what happened a lot of times is the one guy that decides to walk away takes all the attention away from the 11 that decided to stay. Right? I, I mean, I, I, we, I've been doing ministry for a little while now, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. Usually it takes me several weeks before I realize, man, for like the last month and a half, all I've done is think about this one person. When I got these guys right here, the one guy who doesn't want to be here, I'm thinking about constantly chasing down. And he, meanwhile, I got these other guys that are hungry, that are waiting. They want to be taught. They want to be fed. All right, so the 11 are headed to Galilee because the mission needs to go forward, right? And so they get there, and <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't know this. I had to actually do some research. Uh, but So Israel was broken up into three sections right so in the south you had judea right that's where jerusalem was that's where the temple was that's where worship happened that's where the pharisees were trained all the religious leaders that's where they came from the south right passover took place in the south right in, in jerusalem right that's why so in, in 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 when passover would come jews from everywhere would have to come to jerusalem Right? For Passover. That's why we see in Acts chapter 2, everybody was there and they all spoke different languages, right? Because they were from a different place. Bethlehem was in Judea, right? This is all in the south. So this, these were all the, the big shots come from, right? This is like the, uh, headquarters for what God is doing on the earth. So they think. And then just above there, just north of Judea is Samaria. What do we know about Samaria? Who were the Samaritans? Half-breeds, right? The Jews started to intermarry, mixing Judaism with other religions, and they were seen as half-breeds. That's, that's why the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? She was looked down upon. Why? Because she was part of this sect of people. Where they mixed with other pagan religions and other people, other, other nations. 
Right? So nobody really cared for what was going on in Samaria. Right? And then just above there, on the northern part of Israel, was Galilee. The land of the Gentiles. You see, when Babylon and the Syrians came and invaded Israel, a lot of Syrians and Babylonians started to take residence in the northern part of Israel. In this place called Galilee. So there's a lot of mixed, it's like a melting pot. The Gentiles, there, there were Jews there, there were devout Jews there, but they were more the minority in the, in the region, right? And so, Jesus is from where? Galilee. And Jesus' disciples are from Galilee. And most of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee. It wasn't down south where all the big shots come from. And we'll see here, we'll see here in, in multiple different passages, man, the way that it works. The way that people's thinking worked. I mean, if we, if, 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 if we had to like break it down, I mean, there's, in, in, even in, this, in Chicago, right? There's like the south and west side. There's the northwest side and then there's downtown, right? The big shots are downtown. That's where the schools are at. Then there's the, you know, people, northwest siders. Cubs fans. And then there's the west side. Then there's Inglewood and Roseland, right? There's the south side. These neighborhoods where it's like, yeah, I don't know if you want to go there. It's probably not the best place to plant a church. Go evangelizing. It's not safe, right? So turn with me to John chapter 7. <clears throat> John seven thirty seven. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom, whom who he believed in him to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Verse 40. Jesus says this, Some of the people there for when they heard the words, were saying, certainly he is a prophet, right? Then there's the next group. Others were saying, this is the Christ, the Messiah. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? So Jesus gives this teaching and he's talking about the spirit coming, flowing from within us. And some people hear this and say, man, this guy is a prophet. He's a man sent from God. Another group, same room of people. Somebody else says, this is the Messiah. He's not here to talk about the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And then some other group says, this dude's from the west side, man. Like, there's no way the Messiah is coming from the west side. Like, the, the guy who's going to overthrow Rome is coming from Inglewood? Are you serious? Like, we're not even giving thought to what he's saying. Where he's from is a distraction. This guy's from Howell Park. Right? So this, is, this, 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 this happens. Verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem? Remember, the Bethlehem is in the south. From Bethlehem, the village where David was. So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him. But no one laid hands on him. So some of them said, man, we should lock this guy up for talking this way. Verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, where are they at? In the south, right? The religious leaders, they come from Judea. They come to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. And so then the Pharisees, remember, these are the religious leaders. These are the guys that know what's going on. They say, the Pharisees answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or the Pharisees has believed him, in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Essentially, they're saying, man, listen, we're, we're Pharisees, man. We're from the south. We don't listen to that guy. We don't believe that stuff. Right? I mean, we're leaders. We don't, the guys that are, you know, the guys, who, you know who's listening to that guy? The guys from the south side. The guys on the west side are listening. The people that don't know any better. They're the ones listening to Jesus. Not us. Nicodemus, verse 50. Nicodemus, 
who had come to Jesus before in chapter 3, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And they said, You are not from also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So the Nicodemus, one of the guys from the south says, Yeah, but let's give the guy a fair shot. Let's listen to him. And essentially they're like, Wait, did you forget where you're from, man? Am I here? Like, did you, did you, are you from Galilee now? I thought you, I thought we grew up together. I don't understand what you're saying because it, it doesn't make sense. And they say, listen, here, if you're confused, search the scriptures for yourself, man. God's prophet's not going to come from the south side. He's not coming from the west side. That, that doesn't even make any sense. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, this is the way that it works. I remember Jesus was born. Where? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, in the south, where he was supposed to be born, according to the prophecy. But then he was raised in Nazareth, in the region of Galilee, right? Nazareth is a city in Galilee. His disciples, like we said, were from Galilee. Why would he pick guys from Galilee? Why, not, why, why, why wouldn't he go to Jerusalem and pick guys if he's trying to start a movement? If he's trying to get a, a, a group of leaders, why not go to where the leaders are made I mean let's be honest if, if we were going to start a group we're going to go we want the cream of the crop right we're starting a movement we're starting a church give me the best I want the best prayer warriors I want the best preachers I want the, the most anointed guys you got right give me those guys this, this is just the way that we work right not Jesus back again in, 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 in John go back to John 1 John 1, 43. Right? This is after Jesus tells the two disciples, come and see. And you'll see they go with him. They're following him. Jesus picks up a couple more disciples. Verse 43 says, the next day he proposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him. Of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Right? So he's pumped up. Hey, listen, man. We find, he's here. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. And what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's crazy. Because where's Nathaniel from? Nazareth. Man, I mean, that's, that's, that's the guys from, you know, when I used to work for Grip and we did ministry in, in Cabrini Green. And like there was this, this mentality, man, we're from Cabrini Green, from the projects. Pretty much it's like you're always in the pro, you're always from the projects, right? What they say, you can take them out of the project, but you can't take the projects out of them, right? Say the same thing with the hood. You can take them out of Humble Park, but you can't. And it's like, listen, man, nothing good is going to come out of Nazareth, bro. Like, I see how pumped up you are, but that doesn't even make sense. Because I know people from Nazareth. I'm from Nazareth. And I don't think I matter that much. This doesn't make any sense. What you're saying is a contradiction to everything else I know. And this is how it works. The beautiful part is, verse uh, 46 says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see it. And Jesus said, Saw Nathanael coming to him and he said, Blessed, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael responds and says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There goes that. <laughs> Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Until I meet the guy from Nazareth that just hits me spot on, man. One guy that's filled with God from the neighborhood I'm from. That's how I know it's real. Right? Turn to Matthew 13. <clears throat> we know the story. Jesus revisits Nazareth. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from 
there and he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, where did they, they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters are not, aren't they with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. And then Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown. And he did not do any miracles there because of their unbelief, right? I mean, Jesus goes to his hometown. There, it says, they're astonished. Wow, this is amazing. Listen to this guy preach. Look at the things he's doing. This is amazing. I'm so confused though. Because this is Joseph's boy. He's one of us. This doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? Isn't, like, don't we know his brothers and his sisters? Like, this, this just isn't clicking. Because, remember, he's from Galilee. He's from Nazareth. God doesn't move in this place. This is the God-forsaken place. Right? Like I said, man, if, if we're going to start a movement, right? We're going to go after the politicians, the doctors, people with authority. Who's going to go and reach for the, guy, the last people? I mean, take the last guys on the list. That's who you're going to start with. The, the total outcasts, the ones that nobody would ever guess. I mean, who's going to go pick up the thugs on street corners? Who's going to grab a couple prostitutes? Who's going who's gonna to go, who's gonna go after them? The commonplace people. Right? I mean, just look at the guys that Jesus picks. Look at, look, look at some of the guys he picks. Peter. What do we know about Peter? Huh? He was a fisherman. It's a commonplace job. Heard somebody say that Peter had a foot-shaped mouth. Right? Always put his foot in his mouth. Jesus, you're the Messiah. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. No, you're not. Right? I mean, he's just, he's moving, always moving too quick, right? They come to get Jesus in the garden. What does he do? The servant comes to grab Jesus. The Roman soldiers are there. Who knows? Maybe there's five, maybe there's hundreds of soldiers. One of the servants comes up to grab Jesus. Peter's like, he cuts his ear off. Like, doesn't even, why don't I go for the throat? (laughs) I don't understand. What is this supposed to mean? (laughs) I don't, I don't like, Peter's just, he's just, this is the guy that Jesus picks. Right? James and John, what do we know about them? What was their nickname? Sons of Thunder. What do we know about these guys? These guys, top notch. Right? Jesus comes through town, he's preaching. They reject Jesus. Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven? We'll burn this whole place up, man. Just say the word. Say the word, Jesus, because I've had enough. They're going to respect you. Right? That's these guys. These guys, they, 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 they're convinced, right? They said, when you get to your kingdom, can I sit at your right and my brother sit at your left hand? I mean, essentially, what these guys are saying is, because if you read the story, right, the other disciples hear what they're saying and they get all upset. Because essentially what these guys are saying is, listen, we're better than Moses. We're better than Abraham. We're better than Jacob. We're better than David. Jesus, we're the best followers you've ever had. We're the best Christians on the earth right now. So it just makes sense that we would get to sit at your right left. And the reality is, these guys are such punks, they can't even say that, right? They send their mom, 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 go tell them how awesome we are. Ask them if we can sit next to them. Right? These are, these are the guys Jesus picks. Simon the Zealot. Right? Who was he? He was a terrorist. He's a Jew. He's part of this group, the Zealots. They believed that God was going to send a Messiah who was going to overthrow Rome. So everybody, all the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come to free them from Rome. That's the way they were thinking. These guys said, well, maybe if we put God in a position where he has no choice but to send the Messiah to overthrow Rome, then we'll be free. So let's incite a revolution. Let's start a war. Simon's the guy with the, with the, with the, with the, with the knife Strapped to his thigh, 
So when he's walking through the market, he gets close to a Roman guard. Cut his ear off. Or slit his throat. Right? This is Simon. This is the guy Jesus picks. And then he picks Matthew. What does Matthew do? A tax collector. Right? He's a Jew who's now working for Rome, collecting taxes. And Rome's not using the taxes to fix the potholes, keep the streetlights on, pay for the cops. No, they're using it for themselves. And this guy's coming to your house, knocking on your door, saying, give us the money. He's a traitor. Nobody likes Matthew. Nobody likes the tax collectors. He's working for Rome. Meanwhile, so Jesus picks the guy that's working for Rome and the guy that wants to kill people working for Rome. He says, guess what? You guys are on the same team. I mean, I, just, just from reading this, Jesus has no idea how to pick a team. Right? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. We would never do this. We would never do this. We'd never go after guys as like complete opposites of one another. It's like, well, no, well, I'm really gifted to work with these kind of guys. I like the anger guys. These guys, uh, uh, the deceitful guys, that's not my style. I mean, would you pick somebody up like that? We know the scriptures say that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, right? So God goes to the hood. He says, I'm going to raise up a team of people that are going to bear the image of my son. And I'm going to turn the world upside down with a bunch of guys that nobody ever thought would ever do anything significant. I mean, they were completely outcasts, man. That's That's why the Pharisees were so upset. Not only was Jesus from Galilee talking like this, but he was rolling with a bunch of nobodies too. So you guys are the most annoying group of people ever. Stop. Right? I could just imagine. It doesn't make any sense. And so we know that Jesus does most of his ministry in Galilee. And then there's a certain point in the scriptures where we see where in, in Luke 9, 51, it says Jesus, he turned his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Jesus is in the north, Luke 9, 51, after he's acknowledged the Messiah, he says, all right, it's time to do this. It's like we're, we're, we're going inside the mothership, and we're going to blow this bad baby up. That's what we're doing. It's like Independence Day. Remember another movie where he takes the ship and he flies up to the middle of the thing? It's like we're going dead, we're going dead center, man. We've, we've been training in the hood for years, Right? So they start heading towards Jerusalem. He takes his guys with him. He sends guys ahead. Hey, go. There's going to find a donkey and, you know, Palm Sunday and all that. But these guys, Jesus gets crucified in Jerusalem. He resurrects. And then Jesus, through one of the women that came and saw him resurrect, he must have passed the message on. Tell the guys to meet me on the mountain in Galilee. So then we're in Matthew 28. It says, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. I know I, I did a whole lot of talking about Galilee and who these guys were, but I, wanna, I want us to make sure that we understand, man, the kind of people that God is choosing to change the world are sitting in this room. They're the people with pasts where everybody says there's no way you'll ever do anything significant. Like, do you know what you did? I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure. I'm positive, man. I'll put money. That's what, that's what these guys were thinking at some point. I mean, when Jesus invites them to come and follow him, I guarantee you, none of them knew what the next three years were going to be like. None of them knew that their lives would be changed forever. Just come and follow me. Three years later. Oh, my gosh. That was wild, man. And we know they make their way back up from Jerusalem to Galilee. And Jesus gives this commission. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Right? <clears throat> so I want to point out four, four words here that I believe you know, are the assignment for us from Jesus. First word is, Go. 
right? If we're going to do this, we've got to go. Then we've got to make disciples, right? You've got to go out there to the nations. You've got to make disciples. You've got to baptize them. And then you've got to teach them, right? But what's the ultimate goal here? What are we, what are we trying to get to? If we do all four of those, what, what are we going to end up with? Disciples, right? It's like if I said, can somebody give me a cup of water? The end goal is I want a cup of water. But what it's going to require of you is to get up, go downstairs, find a cup, fill it up, bring it back to me, and I can get the water. So in order to make disciples, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to baptize, which means you're going to have to get some converts. You're going to have to get some people saved. And you're going to have to teach them. You're going to have to train them. And with so many, so many different aspects of the church, we get, you know, stuck in different spots. Where there's churches that will focus solely on go. Just get out there. Go. Just make converts. That's all we want to see. We got churches that focus just on teach. You got to understand your doctrine. Jesus says that in the end, people's ears are going to be, you know, tickled and, and there's going to be false teaching. So you got to know right teaching. Otherwise, you're going to be led astray. They never go, but they know good doctrine. Then there's guys that always go, don't know doctrine, right? I mean, we have these imbalances within the body. I believe because the focus is so much on these other things that need to happen in order for us to get to the end, which is making disciples. Reproducing ourselves in somebody else. Seeing the life of Christ formed in somebody else's life. It's not okay if you just go and teach and you don't make disciples. I mean, that's that's not what we're after here. You know, and I, I really believe, man, this message, man, part of this is a challenge to everyone here. I think first, to be discipled. Because you can't make disciples if you haven't been discipled. That's just the way that it works. Because Jesus said, when a student is fully mature, he will be like the teacher. So if you haven't had a teacher, guess what you're going to reproduce? People that don't have teachers. Right? So we need to learn. We need to be able. We, we need to be hungry to submit ourselves to somebody else. I mean, when's the last time you prayed and said, God, send me a teacher. Send me somebody to follow. Give me an example in someone else. Yeah, I know, I know Jesus is the, is, the, is the prime example. But even Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Because Paul understands, look, you need to see it right here, man. I'm right here. Watch me. When's the last time you prayed for somebody like that? When's the last time you really sat down and said, man, hey guys, pray for me. Because I really feel like I just need somebody to walk life with me. And I'm going to make one thing clear. When I'm talking about discipleship, I'm not saying somebody you can get together with once a week for two hours to talk about your problems and pray together. Somebody that you can say, hey, listen, I believe you're a man or woman of God who loves Jesus. Where do you live? I want to see the way you live life. I want to watch you live life at home. Man, that dude's anointed. Where does he live? Right? I mean, when's the last time we really sought God for that? When's the last time you went on a fast for something like that? Where you're so hungry for somebody to pour into you, crying out to God. God, I need somebody to show me. And part of it, I'm going to say, is, man, it's not our fault. It's not your fault. Because this is what we've been taught. That this, we've been taught that this is the way Christianity works. It's this individualistic thing. You just love Jesus as much as you can. You love Jesus as much as you can. And just encourage, every, encourage everybody else to love Jesus as much as they can. When's the last time somebody sat down with you with a Bible and said, let's just read this and I'm going to show you how to read the Bible, how to interpret this. I'm going to show you how to pray. How? Let's pray. 
I'm going to show you how to cook. How? Let's cook. Right? I'm going to show you how to drive. I've taught several people how to drive. I've always been in the passenger seat when it happens. It's crazy to think that I could teach someone how to drive from my house. I just text them. Right? That doesn't make any sense. But this is the way we do discipleship. I need to learn how to walk with God. Well, first you need to pray and read a Bible verse here, Matthew 17. And we're just, this is the way we do discipleship. And so this is what we're going to reproduce because this is what we know. Right? The other part of what I, what I feel the challenge is, is to disciple somebody. Go after it. Reproduce yourself in somebody else. All of your strengths in somebody else, and guess what? All of your weaknesses too. I mean, this this is this is, and I'm, I've, I've been more convinced of this than I ever have been in my entire life. This is the one thing you've been told to do: make disciples. Show me the verse where Jesus explicitly tells you to plant a church. Show me the verse where he says, devote your whole life to just praying for the sick outside of Walgreens. Show me the verse where he says, just create a homeless ministry and make sure that you got beds and coats and socks to give out. I'm not saying that any of that is bad. All of that is what you're supposed to, supposed to, do, supposed to do, but it's all supposed to happen in the context of discipleship. It's all supposed to happen for sure, but that's not the thing. That's not it. We don't want to just reproduce people that know how to run homeless ministries. We want to reproduce people that look like Jesus. Right? So when's the last time you cried out, God, send me somebody? When's the last time you were like, man, God, I, I don't know. You know what it's like? And I, I, said, this, I said this multiple times in, 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 in the discipleship class that I just started fire, man. At least for me, man, the way I see it, man. Make discipleship, making disciples is, it's like parenting. You take a, a baby, a spiritual baby, and you raise them up until they're fully mature man or woman of God, and then you release them into the world to do that again. Right? I mean, there's, and in the natural, there's a deep hunger to raise up healthy, good kids. And then when they're fully mature, what do you want from them? Grandbabies. Come on, man. I did it with you. You do it with somebody else. I raised you up. You raised somebody up. It's completely natural. If you're like a newlywed and you, your in-laws are around, it, it's happening. Where are the grandbabies at? Because it only makes sense. This is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to happen this way. But spiritually... It's like we don't connect the dots. Spiritually, it's like everybody just get married. No more kids. We just have a lot of game nights. Because life's a lot more fun when you can go out whenever you want and you don't have and you don't got kids to worry about. When you can go to the movies whenever you want or go to the play or go on vacation. But you don't got kids to worry about. It's a whole lot easier to just walk with Jesus and love Jesus when you don't got kids to worry about. When you don't got disciples, people that are under you that you have to care for, that you need to make sure that they're being nourished by the word, that they're growing. I mean, Pastor Steve used to say all the time that when his son was born, his first son was born, and however big he was, I mean, even what we could use, you know, Tunde with, with Naomi, I mean, how, how big was she? How many pounds? Nine, you said nine pounds? Yikes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nine pounds, 13 ounces. Six months from now, if she is nine pounds, 13 ounces, we would all be very concerned because there's been no growth. She's in exactly the same place she was the day she was born. And again, we, this, this stuff clicks for us in the natural. What about spiritually? Somebody gets saved. You, you bring your neighbor to church. You bring your coworker to church, and they get born again. And they're just there. They just, now they're saved, and you gave them a Bible, 
And they're just coming. They don't know how to worship God. They don't understand why anybody's raising their hands. Why are we singing? I mean, it takes time to teach somebody how to worship God. And it, it, you have to start when they're young. Right? You know, my, I'm, t- t- today, I'm sitting there with Jubilee, worshiping. And I'm, t- I'm encouraging her to tell, tell Jesus you love him. Because I, w- I want her to learn how to worship. I mean, this is part of discipleship. I pray with my kids before they go to bed. So that they can learn how to pray. I mean, this, this is discipleship. The other day, Eric was reading through, uh, I forgot what he was reading. He was reading something in, 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 in the scriptures. Mark 8. He's reading, sitting there with Jubilee. And I, was, I don't know what I was doing, but I heard him saying, okay, now how many, whatever it was. And she was like, two. I'm like, oh, check that out. Like, she's paying attention. Like, she's absorbing. She's learning how to read the word. I mean, it's, it's, this, this is discipleship. And all yeah, it's, it's so cute because they're little. But what about when she's 25 years old and spiritually, though, she's like three months old? And she, somebody needs to teach her. What about when somebody first gets born again, man? Are, are, we, are we the ones that God can call on? And I'm telling you right now, it's, it's, you're, it's, if you're not careful, you're going to fall into this trap where you cry out, you cry out for God to send you somebody to disciple, but what you're really asking for at the depths of your heart is, God, I want a Timothy. I want somebody that's ready. I want somebody that's been called from birth, that understands their calling as from, from their childhood because their mother and their grandmother were prophesying and laying hands on them. Give me the easy one, Jesus. How many times, if you, if you have been praying for a disciple, how many times you pray for a Judas? How many times you pray for God, give me somebody that's difficult to love? I'm, just, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, this is, this is God's heart. Because everybody deserves an opportunity to walk with Jesus. Because he's so wonderful. Because he's so good. Because he's so faithful. I mean, I know we're, we're taking a break off of house church for about a month here. I think this is a really good time, a really good God-ordained window of opportunity to really get some of these things set in place where discipleship can really happen. Because guess what? Guess what you're not doing next Wednesday? Going to house church. So why not hook up with somebody else from your your house church or somewhere from another house church? Can we just get together, man? Can we eat together? Can we pray, read the Bible? And can we keep doing that? Can our family start going out for play dates and desserts and whatever it is? Can we just start living life together? Because this is discipleship. It's life on life. It's opening yourself up and saying, man, here's where I live. Because this is the one thing you were told to do. I mean, the greatest evangelist of all time spent his life making disciples. That's what he focuses ministry on. The greatest mystic of all time. The one who was one with God. Saw signs and wonders galore. Spent his life. His ministry was not focused on signs and wonders. It was not focused on being, just being one. He's like, man, I'm going to reproduce myself in other people. You know why? Because when a student is fully mature, he will be like the teacher. So there you go. There's 11 guys that now know how to be one with the father. There's 11 guys right there that know how to pop out signs and wonders. There's 11 guys with prophetic gifts. Right? And we see it. Acts chapter 3. Right? Peter and James. Peter and John. Peter and John walking to church. Walking to the synagogue. Crippled guys sitting outside. Asking for money. Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Wasn't because Jesus spent so much of his time training them on how to pray for the sick. Don't use that word, use this word. 
You got to first ask what's wrong with them so you know exactly what part of the body you're speaking to so you know what part of the body to rebuke. Or say, listen, man, we need to tap into what God is doing in heaven. Here's access. Here's your black card. Right? Paul, another one. He's having service just like this. He's preaching, house church. Right? Paul's at a house church. He's talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And what happens? Somebody falls asleep on the window ledge, falls out of the window, and dies. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to fall asleep at church. It's another thing to die at church because you fell asleep. And then what does Paul do? He runs outside, raises him from the dead, and goes back to talking some more. Paul wasn't the best at getting hints. <clears throat> but man, this, this is it, man. It's, it's about reproducing yourself. Paul tells the church in Philippi, he says, Philippians, listen, he says, man, I wanted to send somebody to you, but I couldn't find anybody of like mind, of kindred spirit. I couldn't find anybody that would do things the same way I do things. So I'm sending you Timothy. There was nobody else of kindred spirits, what he says. Where's Peter? Where's James? Where's John? Where's Philip? Where's Nathaniel? Where are those guys at? Paul says, listen, it's not how it's working. I'm not entrusting my kids with somebody who's not going to raise my kids the way I would raise my kids. It's discipleship. It's parenting. Yeah, you can get online and find a nanny if you want to. But I'm not going to leave somebody in charge of raising my kids that I am not confident is going to raise them with the same values that I have. That's discipleship. You instill your values in somebody else. When you become a disciple, you let Jesus instill his values in your heart. And guess what? You do that to somebody else. And so then when it comes time when you need, when you need somebody to take your kids, with confidence, I'm going to send you Timothy. Because me sending Timothy is going to be as if I am there with you. That's what he says. It's going to be like I'm there. He's going to do it like I would do it. I can rest now. Anybody got kids and you ever leave your kids with a sitter for the first time? And you're just kind of like, I hope that they're not tied to a chair right now. Or that like my kid didn't fall off a bed or whatever it is. But then you, you leave them with somebody who always watches your kids. Somebody who's watched you raise your kids. I'm not there yet, but I heard that when your kids get older, you, can, you have like the oldest watch the other ones. It's a lot more affordable and convenient. But think about it. Why, why is it okay? It's because guess what? The oldest one, she understands, he understands the culture of this home. He knows how we do things. So I can leave him in charge because he knows how it, how it works. Right? And then, the other, then, then you got to teach them how to have control. They're not like <laughs> trying to rule everything. I'm the boss. I'm calling mom. <laughs> right? But this is discipleship. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Should get some of my students up here to quote some of these verses for me. Second Timothy two. Paul says, verse one. You therefore, my son. Who's he writing to? Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach to others also. Right? Paul is talking about four generations here. He's casting vision for his son. Right? Here's how I want you to carry out what I'm telling you to do. Right? He says, the things which you, right, Timothy, heard from me. Right? So Paul passed it on to Timothy. The things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to faithful men. So, Timothy... What, I'm Paul, I showed you these things, and I want you to trust it, and trust it to faithful men who are going to do what with it? Who are going to be able to teach it to others also. Right? 
Paul's thinking is totally, listen, we're making disciples here, man. This is what we're doing. This is the culture of the kingdom. We reproduce ourselves in other people. We reproduce a Jesus people. People that look like the Son of God. So man, who, who, who are you already opening your life up to? Who are you planning to open your life up to? I know that what we're trying to build here, what we want to build here, just from conversations me, Jeff, and Jose have had lately, we, we want to build a, a culture of discipleship here across culture. And man, we're really good at building family, right? I mean, I, I feel like we, we got a real grace from God to do that. We're really good at building family. But man, family has to consist of mother and father. There has to be mothers and fathers. Otherwise, it's, just, otherwise it's a dysfunctional family. So who are the mothers and who are the fathers? Who wants to step up to the plate and start taking responsibility for somebody else? Who wants to get the phone call from the school when your kid sets a garbage can on fire? Who wants to say, that's my kid? Right? Who wants to get the phone call when your kid does great? Who wants to start taking responsibility for somebody else? Because this is what we're trying to build here. We want to, we want to be mothers and fathers. Man, and by His Spirit, man, we, we allow Him to make us that. We don't have to force it, man. This should be a natural, a natural thing within the family of God. Where there's a natural honor and respect to one another because of the different places we are in God. Where we can value one another for where, we've, where they've been. I, mean, I think that's one of the, when, I, when I think about it, man, we're... With Dave here, man, we spent some time talking about Pastor Steve. I mean, one thing I love about Pastor Steve, man, that dude's a father. I mean, for, for, those, for those that were around for years with Pastor Steve, man, that's the only way you could describe him. There's a bunch of other things you could say, man, but at the very core of it, he's a father. He just wants to, he wants to love on his kids, and he wants to see them do great. He wants to see his kids grow up, get married, and have more kids. And Pastor Steve, man, he wants to see his kids grow up. Plant churches that are going to plant with, and, and plant more churches. He wants to see, see disciples that are going to make more disciples. Paul Luckman, the first time I heard him speak, said, In ministry, you're not successful until your successors are successful. I would say the same way you haven't made disciples until your disciples have made disciples. And it's so much easier to just, you know, do shotgun ministry, right? Shoot a shotgun, bullets spread wide and far. So you can do, what about, who wants to, who wants to do sniper rifle ministry? Where you just aim on the target, just, that's all I'm hitting. Just the one right there. I'm going to reproduce myself in that guy right there. He's the one. I'm not going to treat everybody else bogus and ignore everybody else like they don't matter. But I need to focus in on one person. Because when a student is fully mature, he's going to be like the teacher. And so guess what? If you're somebody that likes to do shotgun ministry, you're going to reproduce people that like to do shotgun ministry. And somebody else is going to be preaching this message 10, 15 years from now. And everybody's going to be saying, man, we got to do something to change. Because, man, we have to be willing to give our lives up, to lay our lives down for one another. And not just so we can be encouraged, so we can feel loved. But to man, I'm, I, I, I lay my life down to see you grow in God. I mean, is that really the attitude? I'll, I'll, I'll be there in the great times in your life, and I'll be there in the worst times of your life. <clears throat> I'll have the tough conversations with you. I'll call you out when I need to, and I'll celebrate you when I need to, because I'm a father. That's what you do with your kids. So how is this any different than what God has called us to do? When Jesus stands on the mountain and says, listen... Guys, we're back in Galilee where it all started. Let's go from nation to nation doing the same thing I've been doing with you for the last three years. Let's take over the world by reproducing ourselves and other people. And I think each and every one of us, man, we should all have one person, at least one person, at least one person. That we're pouring into. Somebody we're discipling. 
Somebody that you're having over that you're talking to about what God is doing in your life. That you're encouraging, that you're praying for. That you're fasting with. That you're evangelizing with. Somebody that you're just walking life with. That you're pouring into them. Giving them advice. Cautioning them on different areas that they don't want to go. And then we should all have at least one person that's doing the same thing for us. I mean, this is, this is the way things work in the kingdom. I mean, we're, 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 I'm, for, for, for those that have been around long enough, you know, I mean, the, the relationship that I have or had with Dave, and when Dave discipled me, and I mean, I still call Dave regularly. Hey, man, what's going on? Just because he's like a big brother, father to me. And I honor the place he got, he's had in my life. And then there's times where I'm like, bro, I don't know what to do with this situation here. Right? Because I, I still, and, and I have Jeff and Jose. I mean, I'm constantly calling Jeff and Jose. Hey, here's the situation. I don't know what to do. Somebody messaged me on Facebook. I don't know how to respond. What do you think I should say? It's people that I'm, that I'm walking life with. That I open my life up to and they're free to speak into my life. Caution me and give me direction. To celebrate what God is doing in my life and to rebuke what I'm doing in my own life. And then, there's people that God is... By his grace and mercy, giving me the privilege to shepherd in our house church. And then uh, across the, the, the church as a whole. It's all right. I mean, this is disciples. This is what we're trying to build here. But it's got to start with us really just getting to a place, man, where we realize this is the one thing that we're supposed to be doing. This is it, man. I mean, what would happen if, if, if you know, we really set our hearts... That in 2014, we were going to get discipled and make disciples. I mean, what kind of church would we be a year from now? How many people would, would, be, would get sent to the mission field? How many house churches might, might God plant through us? How many parts in the city could we be in? I don't know. <laughs> we got to start running first, man. We got to start getting headed in that direction first. And I believe it starts with us, man, really making a resolution in our hearts. Man, I'm, I, I, God, I'll do whatever it takes. Talked about this on Thursday night in my class, you know, for the people that have been around fire for a while, you know, it's by life or by death. And we talk about it, you know, as far as, you know, missions and evangelism is concerned. Anybody want to make disciples by life or by death? Anybody that burdened to reproduce yourself in the life of Christ and somebody else? She will do whatever it takes. And I want to encourage you guys, man. I, I don't believe this is not like a, hey, we all suck as Christians. <laughs> but this is God saying, listen, don't, don't lose focus. There's a lot of good things going on. There's a lot of great things God is doing in our midst. I mean, was it two weeks ago? We had legs growing out. I think a week before that, and Norma's ear was popping open. I mean, God's moving in our midst. People are getting healed. People are getting saved. People are getting touched. And that's all great. And Jesus gets all the glory for it. But what happens if we're not here anymore? Who are we going to leave behind and say, man, I poured my life into that guy so he can, he can take my spot. God's called me somewhere else now. And maybe they won't replace you. Maybe you raise them up so they can go out and have their own kids somewhere else. So I really want to challenge you guys, man, to really just pray about what this looks like in your life. How you can open yourself up. Especially, man, over this next month when people, it's, it's the holiday season. People want to hang out. People want to fellowship. Go for it. But be intentional with what you're doing. Be praying the whole time. Be thinking through, God, is this somebody that I could really be submitting myself to? Somebody I could submit my family to? That I could trust? To answer questions and give feedback. Whatever it is, man. Um, I mean, this, is just, this was just a tidbit, man, of what's just been on my heart. <clears throat> When I think of all the great things God is doing, and I'm like, man, it's all good, man, but I just want to make sure we're not missing the main thing. That we, that we don't forget to grab somebody and teach them how to walk with Jesus. All right? So, Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you gave us an example in Jesus Christ. And not just what it means to be someone completely submitted to you, but what it means to be someone who lays their life down 
to help somebody else get there. God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would make us all, each one of us in this room and in this church, God, even the folks that are not here, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would make us all disciples, Lord. That you would bring us someone, Lord, who's spiritually mature, somebody who's seasoned, Lord God, in, in, in the things of walking with you, Lord, somebody that knows how to, how to be with Jesus. She would bring them to us, God, that they could pour into us, that they could help us grow and walk with you, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring us people, Lord, that we could do the same for them, that we could walk with somebody else, Lord, that we could take somebody, Lord, that be our age or older, Lord, that we could take some of these kids that are getting saved in children's church, Lord, and start to disciple them. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that the kingdom of God would be established in this city because we're making disciples. Not because we got the best tracks or the best smelling anointing oil, God. But because disciples are being made because we're laying our lives down and opening up our lives to others. That when people are impressed with the grace you've placed on our lives, that we would say, well, come, come check out where I live. Come see how I live my life. In Jesus' name, amen.